Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey guys, welcome to The Bustle Huddle. I'm your host, Jada Gomez. And I'm sure you thought you weren't going to hear from us until 2019, but surprise, we have one more book mini-sode for you guys. This time with lifestyle editor Gabby Moss. Hello. Hey, Gabby. How's it going? Good. Happy almost New Year to everybody. Almost. We're almost there. So you recently sat down with Karina Longworth, the person behind the podcast, You Must Remember This. What was that like? Uh, Karina came in and we discussed her new book, Seduction, Sex, Lies, and Stardom in Howard Uses Hollywood. Ooh, sexy. Um, it's, I mean, it's not sexy. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> There's a lot of sex, but it's not sexy. Um, it is, it's a uh, film history book looking at uh, the biographies of several women in classic Hollywood through the framing device of their relationships with Howard Hughes. Ooh, that is something I need on my nightstand. That sounds so juicy. There's a lot of great historical analysis and then also old-timey gossip, which uh, I'm a fan of both. So. I'm here for old-timey gossip. So besides me and people who love old-timey gossip, who would you recommend this book for? Uh, number one, I would just like to say uh, you should all love old-timey gossip. If not, what is wrong with you? But if for some reason that is not enough to hook you, um, this book, I think, is really great for anyone who wants to learn more about, like, women's history in America. You know, I learned about female directors from 100 years ago in this book. And, you know, I had, I think, like a lot of people thought that, that those people didn't exist. I had never heard of them. And the book shines a lot of light on these forgotten corners of women's history. I love that because I feel like there is this notion, especially now, it's like this is the first person to ever do this or this is the first woman of color to ever do that. And it's like, no, there's this whole history that was kind of buried for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, this stuff just keeps happening and keeps getting swept under the rug and happening and swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this book is one of the many, many reminders out there that we have to go checking under these rugs and figuring out what is under there. That is so real. And with that, let's play your conversation with Karina. Thanks for uh, coming in, Karina. Sure, thanks for having me. Now, uh, before reading your book, I, like many people, uh, mostly knew about Howard Hughes from The Aviator. Based on your book, uh, The Aviator left out a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I also, you know, felt like I got to know Howard Hughes from watching that movie 10 years ago or whenever it came out. And um, getting to know him through this research was quite different. And it's been interesting because people have wanted to talk about that film on my press tour. Um, I think it is, like, for a, a whole generation of people, it's like their only reference to Howard Hughes. And I think that there are certain aspects of Leonardo DiCaprio's performance that are accurate. And then there's most of the storytelling of the film, which is not so accurate. Yeah. I, you know, I had thought of him as like, oh, just some American business guy. And then I came away from this being like, he's a villain, which I, I know is not <laughs> your goal. But um, but this book isn't really about Howard Hughes. It is actually about women working during the first few decades of Hollywood who were all in Howard Hughes's orbit. So how did you decide to use Howard as the framework to tell their stories? 
Well, I guess I just first started thinking of Howard Hughes in this context when I came across a message board posting like a long time ago. And it was just it was just titled like women Howard Hughes had sex with. And then it was a list of of women, mostly actresses, with no other information about them. And I just thought like, what a boring thing. <laughs> like to just literally make like a list of, of one man's conquests. And I'm sure that each of these people on this list like had their whole had a whole life and a whole career and i'm sure probably not the most exciting thing is that they had sex with Howard Hughes i mean and then you know I, as i did learn like i learned that some people really enjoyed having sex with Howard Hughes like it wasn't like a a bad experience entirely for a, some people but of course like these women did have whole lives and careers worth talking about Outside of having sex with Howard Hughes. Yeah. Not not a life-defining experience. Even no, if it was I mean, pleasant. although, I mean, some women really were like, <laughs> like, let's not downplay it. <laughs> yeah, your book is actually, um, I thought, a really great inversion of kind of the great man biography, where traditionally all these people would be considered sort of acceptable collateral damage in the story of this important guy. And uh, it was so much more interesting to read about these women and their actual lives. Cool. Thank you. That was my intention. <laughs> A few years before I started writing this, I wrote this book about Meryl Streep, and I was on this panel, you know, when the book came out, and I was on a panel with these two men, white men in their 70s, who are were two of, like, the top Hollywood biographers. And on my panel, I wasn't allowed to get a word in edgewise. It was just, like, these two, like, old dudes talking about great old dudes and, like, writing books about great old dudes. And I just thought it was so boring. <laughs> and so I guess I, w- I wanted to write this book for all of the people that felt excluded by that being the bulk of film history and film writing. Uh, were these women you had wanted to write about for a long time, or did you discover them when you started researching? A combination. I've always been interested in Jane Russell and always wondered why there wasn't more talk about her as being one of the great stars. And so I was excited to have an opportunity to learn more about her. And the same with Ava Gardner, um, although I there is one fantastic biography of Ava Gardner that I read years ago called Love is Nothing, which is one of the most incredible titles. Um, but then there were a lot of people that um, I decided to include in the book who I didn't know anything about or virtually nothing about, like Billy Dove, who was a silent film actress who was Hughes's first major girlfriend in Hollywood, and Jean Peters, who is his second on-the-record wife, and who was like a contract player at 20th Century Fox during the same era as Marilyn Monroe. And, you know, a few others. Like, And then there were some people who were sort of in between. Like, I had seen a lot of Ginger Rogers movies, but I didn't know anything about how her life intersected with Hughes or how her life and career intersected with Catherine Hepburn's, which I learned writing the book. Uh, Over the course of researching it, was there anyone you came across that you were like, it it is the most unfair that this person has been kind of forgotten by history? Um, I don't know about the most unfair. Um, I think that the tale of Faith Domergue is pretty tragic. She was a teenage girl who Hughes proposed marriage to and then bought her contract. She was under contract to Warner Brothers, and Hughes bought her contract and basically was like, you will marry me, and you will become—I will turn you into a major star. And then he didn't do either of those things and, like, basically spent years kind of dicking her around and lying to her and, and you know, just— breaking promise after promise. And I guess I feel like from the work that she was able to do, I don't know if she was a great actress, but she was certainly a really beautiful woman with a fascinating look. And she gave a couple of pretty good performances. And so that definitely feels like an opportunity lost. 
So I'm not a film expert at all. Um, mm-hmm. So I learned a ton reading this book. Um, but one thing uh, that I learned, you know, I, I like a lot of people thought that women directing movies was kind of a semi-recent thing. Like, oh, we spent 80 years demanding it, and finally they yeah. let Catherine Bigelow do something. Right. <laughs> um, and I found from reading this that, you know, this women had been powerful in the film industry 100 years ago, that you had uh, directors like Lois Weber and screenwriters like Anita Luce. And um, a lot of that history has been kind of forgotten or, like, sidelined. Yeah, I think especially—and, of course, we should talk about— Hollywood as being a boys club, and we should talk about the Hollywood patriarchy. But when we do talk about that, we often don't take the time to be like, there were exceptions to those rules. And certainly before the sound era, which coincided with the corporatization or increasing corporatization of Hollywood in a lot of ways, and um, the consolidation of power within just a few companies, whereas just 10 years earlier, it had been more of a Wild West— Before that consolidation, there were a lot of female film directors and writers and women working in all aspects of behind-the-scenes stuff. And and then when that generation of directors started retiring and, you know, it's kind of tapering off, they weren't around to mentor a new generation. And then it became sort of like there are just a few jobs on a set that women can can quote-unquote do that are women's work. Like, um, there have have always been female film editors, you know, because for a while men thought that was like sewing. Obviously, there's always been women in costuming and 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 hairdressing and things like that. But it really, um, it was not so segregated by gender for a while, and then it became segregated by gender. Another thing I did not know going into this was sort of the flip side of that, that a few decades in, a lot of these young actresses were getting signed to these incredibly restrictive contracts and were, like, controlled completely by these studios that were, like, bad boyfriends to them. Um, And do you think there's a reason that sort of things went that way with actors, that it kind of locked down on them? I mean, again, I think that has a lot to do with the consolidation of power amongst just a few companies. Um, For actors and actresses, it wasn't that much better before that system. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for the first few years of cinema, actors weren't even credited by name. It was actually the fans that started being like, we want more of that girl with curly hair. (laughs) And fan magazines would refer to somebody like Mary Pickford as the girl with the curls. And then it was only after those stars started acquiring power with the audience that they were able to then fight to be billed by name and to be paid according to the value that they brought to cinema. So, you know, the contract system was an improvement on that. But uh, it certainly was extremely restrictive and lasted. I mean, there were efforts to, to break it down in the 1940s, but it lasted in some form really until the 60s. That is bananas. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So another thing I really enjoyed about your book is that you did not shy away from including some very complicated figures. Uh, I think there's kind of a tendency in a lot of looking back at history these days to kind of only want to embrace, like, you know, someone who's a very flawless feminist heroine, someone who's, like, not a mess or not problematic. And I thought it was really interesting that you included people like Ida Lupino, who, you know, on one hand is doing this great, important work, and on the other hand is selling out all of her friends to the FBI for being communists. Yeah. um, Ida Lupino was the only female director of Hollywood feature films in the 1950s. And that came after she had established a pretty solid career as a star of, like, lower-level film noirs. And she also was able to maintain that position of relative power because she wasn't blacklisted and deported um, (laughs) because when she was going through her citizenship application, she was English, she volunteered information to the FBI that helped them blacklist other actors and screenwriters. And so that was something that I discovered while I was writing the book by looking at her FBI file, which as far as I can tell has never been referenced in a book before. And um, it was absolutely shocking to me because she gave many statements during her lifetime about calling herself a New Deal Democrat and claiming to be anti-McCarthyism and anti-the blacklist. And certainly that was her reputation. And so to see that not only did she name names, but the FBI didn't call her. She called the FBI because she was worried that they weren't going to give her a citizenship application or that they wouldn't let her citizenship application pass. So, yeah, that's absolutely troubling. But for me, like once you discover information like that, you yeah. can't not include it. You have to try to consider the whole person. Was it like a priority of yours while you were writing it to just be like, I'm yeah, going to do the whole complicated warts and all depictions of these people. Sure. I mean, if you're going to do that for Howard Hughes, you know, you have to do it for everybody. And Ida Lupino is probably the person where I did, you know, find kind of the most on either end. But, you know, I mean, I also like for a lot of these characters could be at times like a challenge for me in terms of empathy. You know, I mean, Terry Moore is an actress who came forward in 1976 after Howard Hughes died and claimed that she had been secretly married to him on a boat in 1949 and had never told anybody about it, or at least never told anybody about it publicly. And um, she is a real easy target for criticism, you know, when especially since she had a little bit of trouble keeping dates straight and various elements of her story straight. And my research, you know, I, I basically was able to understand that she um, kind of sold a publicity stunt to some extent in talking about her relationship with Hughes. But I also had to figure out why, you know, like where was she coming from and why was she doing this? And and I really came to understand that she believed that she did marry him on a boat because he did things like that. He would absolutely would be likely to like throw a stunt marriage to get a 19-year-old Mormon to have sex with him. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't agree with all of Terry Moore's methods. And, like, I understand why she was made fun of in in the pages of Variety and stuff. But I also believe a lot of her story. Yeah, this book is is not just uh, dry history. It's some (laughs) amazing stories. Uh, Were there any stories you really liked that ended up getting left on the cutting room floor? 
You know, not that much got left on the cutting room floor. I mean, probably not surprisingly because it's a 500-page book. (laughs) If anything, I was surprised that my publisher wanted me to include everything in it. I mean, when I turned in a draft that was shorter than what was published, I assumed that they would ask me to cut it down and, and make it more succinct and get rid of some of these tangents I go on. But instead, they asked me to flesh out parts of it. So, yeah, there's, there aren't really any good outtakes. It's all in there. And uh, where can people buy your book? Anywhere the books are sold. Um, Amazon, your local bookstore. If you, um, if you go to your local indie bookstore and they don't have it, they can order it. And uh, your season of You Must Remember This just uh, started up again. Yeah, we're doing the second half of our season about uh, Hollywood Babylon. And so we'll have new episodes through the end of January. Well, thanks so much for coming by, Karina. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Gabby, for chatting with Karina. That was so insightful. I'm running to get this book. And I hope that we get to see you in the studio a little bit more in 2019. Oh, yeah, that'll be my resolution. Just hang around you all up in your face. I like that. You know, number one fan. (laughs) This show was produced by Julia Hsu, Michaela Heck, and Anna Parsons with editorial guidance from Roseanne Salvatore. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We really want to hear from you, and we want to know what you love most about the show. You can also reach us at huddle at bustle.com. I'm your host, Jada Gomez.